Welcome again to Christian Covenant Fellowship. It really is a joy to see you all. Uh, This is a time in the service where we hear from the God of the Word by turning to the Word of God. So we just heard the passage read from Mark 16. And what I'm going to do for us before we jump into breaking the text down is to pray for us. Ask that God would indeed speak through His Word. So please join me in prayer over this time in the service. Father, we thank you so much that everything that we are going to hear about in this scripture passage is indeed true. That your son has indeed risen from the dead. That you are indeed alive and reigning right now. That our hopes, if they are in Christ, are never in vain. And so, Lord, I pray that as we listen to and consider your word, that you would indeed speak by the power of your spirit. That you would guard my heart, my soul, my mind, my mouth from only saying and thinking what would make most of Jesus. I pray that you would stir our affection so deeply for Jesus that we would, we would see him for who he is and then be ready to go and speak about him to all that you send us to. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we ask that you would indeed work for your glory during this time of our gathering. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. First and foremost, you all look great today. You always do, but especially today. Um, Reason enough to take family photos, if you haven't yet. But I want to start with a question. Question. What have you come to see today? What have you come to Easter morning to see today? And, And of course, many of us have come expecting to see some of the traditions, the egg hunts, the baskets of candy, the, the family photos, the pastel outfits. But I bet beneath a lot of this, we've come to see something deeper, something more meaningful. One of the reasons that Easter Sunday is so widely attended is because we all have a longing for hope. We all have a longing for good news that's actually great news. And see, our church over the last couple weeks has been walking together this journey of looking for hope by looking to the king who calls himself Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. And so far in the Gospel of Mark, we've seen lots of reasons to have hope, even amidst heartache, to look for life, even amidst death, to look for joy amidst sorrow. We've heard that the king is in the boat with us during the storms of life. We've heard that the king has come to find us in the Galilees of our lives and and then calls us to follow him. We've heard last week that the king came so humbly into our lives, into our world, and then died sacrificially all for us. The king has been calling us to respond to him, to see him, to depend on him. And today the king, King Jesus, gives us the ultimate reason to see, to savor, and to trust him above all things in this world. And that is because he puts death to death. See, the big idea that the gospel writer Mark has for his original audience and for us in Mark chapter 16, verse 1 to 8, is this. The king has risen. That's it. The king has risen. And the text before us, the reality of a man who has risen from the dead, presents an invitation that must be responded to. See, the king has risen, and the question you have to answer, the question I have to answer is, so what? So what? And Mark 16 gives us two simple answers. And those are, come and see, go and tell. The king has risen. First, come and see him. 
And then second, go and tell. Speak about him. I invite you to keep your Bibles open as we work progressively through Mark chapter 16, verse 1 to 8. I want you to see that these are not my ideas, my words. These are indeed God's words, and that makes them God's ideas. And they hold much greater weight than mine. So let's listen to him speak to us in Scripture. We're going to begin in verse 1 and go through verse 6 to see that Jesus has called us to come and see him. Verse 1 to 6. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him, speaking of Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. In entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. As if there's any other response to an angelic messenger in a tomb. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. But he has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Easter expectations are high for all of us, aren't they? We all have a plan for how the rest of today will go. For some of us, we can't wait to see that egg hunt, that classic family tradition. Maybe it used to be young kids now growing up to be adults and it's gotten super competitive. (laughs) Your house has it too. Some of us can't wait for that classic grandma-made meal, the barn lunch with the perfect ham. Some of us can't wait to take our pictures. This is the one time of year we all get together and the sun's shining. Easter expectations were even higher for the women who showed up to this tomb on the first Easter morning. But their expectations weren't really joyful ones. They were high in the worst possible ways. They were expecting a funeral. The Sabbath that had just passed was the saddest Sabbath in all history. In verse 1, it says that they went, as soon as the Sabbath was passed, they bought spices to go and anoint Jesus, the dead body that was in the tomb. And very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen, they went there. They went to find the Savior who died a few days prior. They went with heavy hearts because what happened a few days before was the saddest moment in the history of the earth. King Jesus was crucified. Before we get to Mark chapter 16, we slowly and painfully read of Mark chapter 15. And in verse 24 of that chapter, it tells us what happened to Jesus at the end of his life. They crucified him and divided his garments among them. It was the third hour when they crucified him. Mark doesn't mince words. Jesus was indeed crucified. A historical fact, the sinless Son of God experienced the most physically agonizing and emotionally humiliating death of ever on the face of the earth. It says they even divided his garments among them. They took every single one of his earthly possessions. They mockingly hailed him as king of the Jews. And to sentence him, they put him before a crowd of not necessarily his peers, but an unjust crowd who, despite being offered to release Jesus, they said, crucify him. And Pilate, in authority over all of this, says, why? 
What evil has he done? And what do they do? They just shout, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. The end of his life was ugly. It was brutal. It was painful. And those words, crucify him, crucify him, they're condemning, but not just on the crowds, on us as well. They're convicting words. See, crucify him, crucify him is the natural choice and disposition of your heart and my heart. See, the death of Jesus wasn't unnecessary. The good news of Jesus' new life is only good when we realize the bad news of our need for it. See, you and I, we were made to know, love, and worship God as God. But the reality is that ever since almost creation, we've tried to be like God instead of love and trust God. We've fallen short of what he's, been, he's made us to be like and do. We are in need of forgiveness. We deserve separation from God because he is holy and we are not. And it's not a problem that the person to your left and the person to your right has. It's a problem that the guy in the mirror has. And so do you. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. We deserve condemnation, separation. But in mercy, Jesus died to offer us reconciliation. See, Jesus died to solve the problem that you and I can't solve. To live the life that God called us to, but we failed to. To die the death that our sin deserves and must be paid for, and he offers it in the only holy, righteous blood that can. See, your sin and my sin was so bad. This is how bad it was. This is why Easter is so good. Your sin, my sin, so bad that the Son of God had to die for it. There was no other way. And so on that good Friday, between 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., Jesus hung there on the cross, crucified, blood oozing out of the railroad-sized spikes that were driven into his wrists and his ankles, that crown of thorns that was piercing his skull, the sun scorching his skin, until finally around 3 p.m. that afternoon, Gravity made ventilation too difficult, and he utters his last breath in his last sentence, citing Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you seen the level of pain that he bore on your behalf? Have you seen your great need for forgiveness that Jesus died to to offer you forgiveness from? See, we won't see Jesus as really good until we see our deep need for him. But then, have you seen his great mercy, his great love? See, your sin was indeed so bad that the Son of God died for it, but our God is so loving that the Son of God died for you. Our sin is so bad that the Son of God had to die for it, but our God is so loving that he gave his only Son to die for us. That's what makes Easter so good. See, it's mercifully that God made him Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's by mercy that he, Jesus, he himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin, die to sin, and live to righteousness. 
He offers us reconciliation, though we deserve condemnation. He offers us eternal life, even though we deserve eternal death. When we shouted, crucify him with our thoughts, words, and actions, you know what he said? Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Have you seen his mercy? Have you seen the great love that motivated the selfless giving of himself on the cross unto the point of death? See, when you have seen Jesus, when you have seen your need for him, there is only one response, and that's joyful, dependent repentance. Joyful, dependent repentance. You throw yourself entirely on his finished work to do all that you've ever needed, offering you right relationship with God. And here's what it looks like to respond to the true Jesus, to see him and then respond to him. In Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet Isaiah is given a pre-incarnate vision, so to say, of the holiness, the grandeur of God. And in that passage, God allows Isaiah to see his great need for forgiveness and his, in the God's holiness all at once. What does Isaiah say? And seeing rightly, he says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. Heaven and earth is full of his glory. And at the same time, Isaiah says, Woe to me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amidst a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King. I have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Have you seen the King? Have you personally seen the King? This Jesus, this this guy who's not just a historical figure, the eternal Son of God, the King of all eternity, who gave himself on the cross so that you wouldn't taste eternal death if you would give him your sin and receive his forgiveness. We're not even at verse 3 yet. (laughs) Guys, this is the Jesus that those women came to see. Verse 1 and verse 2, Mary Mary and Salome, they bought the spices to go and anoint his body. These are the women that in Mark 15, 40 to 41, it says they ministered to him in Galilee during his life and ministry. So, of course, they continue ministering to him even after death. They went to the funeral, and they bring spices, essentially, expecting to have to be morticians. They went to massage fresh aromas of life into this dead Savior's body. But little did they know, it would be God who would be massaging hope into their hearts. They went to find a casket, and God is going to give them a miraculous sight. Listen to what happens in verse 3 and 4. So the women are on the way to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Very fair question. They saw where Jesus was buried. The tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Big old boulder out front. Not something you just knock on the door or pull the car up to the cemetery and and visit the plot. There was a boulder in front of his tomb. And yet, somehow, that boulder's moved. Listen to verse 4. In looking up, They saw the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. How in the world? Who could have done this? How'd that boulder move? Today's the day after the Sabbath. The sun had just come up. We are the very first ones here. The Sabbath, no Jews could have done this the day before. It was a very surprising sight. 
It's a, a sovereign reminder that God is working, even in the situations where we don't see him necessarily working. They expected to find death and difficulty. And before they get there, God is working to roll the stone back, a preview of hope, even before the greatest of hopes. What's the greatest struggle in your life right now? What's the greatest struggle in your life right now? Where you're expecting to find a boulder in front of a tomb. How might God be working, even now, to give you little previews of his sovereign power by, so to say, rolling stones back? Maybe it's a night of sleep when you've been anxious for weeks. Maybe it's just an open conversation in a relationship that's been strained for a while. Maybe it's relief from that chronic ailment that you've been suffering with. See, God is the one who brings life out of death. He's also the God who rolls stones back. Our God is powerful. And these women didn't expect that. But even more than they didn't expect the stone to be rolled back is what they find in the tomb. Let's keep going in verse 5. In entering the tomb... They saw a young man sitting on the right side, and his name wasn't Jesus. (laughs) His name wasn't Jesus, this guy. They saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in the white robe, and they were alarmed. No kidding. No kidding they were alarmed. They've seen a lot in three days. They've seen a Savior crucified. They've seen him buried in a massive tomb with a massive boulder out front. They've seen a stone rolled away, that massive boulder rolled back, and now they see an angelic messenger. Terrified is literally what alarmed means here. And terrified is what I'd be feeling. It's an understatement for what I'd be feeling. And yet, it's not a knee-shaking or a knee-bowing, excuse me. It is not a knee-shaking fear. It's a knee-bowing fear. They're having the same sort of reverential experience of the God who reigns as Isaiah did in chapter 6. The only response that makes sense in the light of divinity is submission, thanksgiving, awestruck, wonder, and amazement. And that angel, he then speaks to them with words of hope. Verse 6. They're terrified, alarmed, and he says... Do not be alarmed. How merciful of God to meet us in our places of fear. Do not be alarmed. Do not be afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. It's a fact. He hung on that cross. He died. But he has risen. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Look with the eyes of your, of, your, of your head so that you can see where he was. He's not here. Look with the eyes of your head so that the eyes of your heart would see and behold. There's something happening. Life has come out of this place of death. The tomb is empty. I have good news for you. See, I asked you earlier, what did you come to see today? What did you come seeking today? Did you really come here just for the eggs? The candy? The family photos? Maybe. But if you're honest, if I'm honest, I come to this place seeking a lot more. I come to this place seeking hope. I come to this place seeking life when there should be death. I come to this place seeking a joy amidst my sorrows. But unfortunately, you and I, we have this, this problem in our lives. 
We often run to the tombs of this world instead of seeking the Jesus of Nazareth. We often run to the, even the good things of this life, seeking God-like Jesus replacing, so to say, counterfeit Jesus joy. And things like money, get that number in the bank account, our jobs, get that promotion, get that affirmation from someone else. If I just had that next vacation, if I just had a perfectly behaved child or grandchild, well, then I'd be happy. Then I'd be content. Then I wouldn't need to seek anything else. I'd have it all. What tomb of the world are you tempted to try and find God-like joy in, even today? What tomb of this world are you tempted to go and try to find God-replacing, counterfeit joy in? And how have you found that joy to fall short? I've found it. I've missed it. I've looked for it in a lot of places. And that's the news of the gospel. Everything else in this life would fail us. Jesus never does. Jesus never fails as a valid hope in our life and death. And here's why. Verse 6. He has risen. He is not in that tomb. Look at the place where they laid him. Look at the cross that used to be a sign of suffering, but is now a sign of victory. Look at the tomb that used to be filled with a dead man's corpse, but now the light of the world shines out of it. He has risen, guys. He is not here. Where we anticipate death, he has offered life. After three days of being dead in the tomb, the stone was rolled back. Jesus walked out alive, and now he is on the throne. He has risen. Hallelujah. He has risen. He is not here. Hallelujah. He is risen indeed. And because he has put death to death, you can trust him for life and death. Because he has put death to death, because he walked out of that tomb on Easter morning, you can look to him and know that your hope in him is never going to be in vain. Have you come to see this Jesus today? Have you come to see him with the eyes of your heart, to see that he has lived the life you failed to, that he has died the death that your sin deserves, that he rose to accomplish and defeat the enemy that you can't? Have you come to see him? And the good news of seeing Jesus is that he not only offers a past and present hope, he offers a future hope too. See, the king who got up out of that tomb is the king who's going to return in glory. Jesus came to Bethlehem as a baby. He died at Calvary as our sacrificial offering, and he's going to return. The king is coming with the the new heavens, the new earth, the kingdom in full. See, the king that is ascended after 40 days of resurrected living is the king who will bring in Revelation 21, verse 3 and 4. Listen to these good words of hope that are available for all who are in Christ Jesus, our past, present, and future hope. Revelation 21, starting in verse 3. And I heard a loud voice. This is John chronicling the preview of that coming day. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. (sighs) Death shall be no more. 
That's a fact. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Guys, he is risen. He is not in that tomb, and he will return in victory. The Easter story, as one pastor says, is the story of victory coming out of defeat, strength from weakness, life from death, rescue from abandonment. When Christ returns, the Easter story will be completed. And now we hope in both the empty tomb and the return of that same Savior, the King. And we can hope with a valid hope that nothing in all creation, neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus if you are in Him. Nothing, not even death, because He has risen. Because He has risen. So the invitation I must make, and you must respond to, is would you come and see him? Would you come and see Jesus? Not just as a historical figure, not just as a teacher, not just as someone to put on a t-shirt or a bumper sticker. Would you come and see him as Savior and Lord? Would you see your need for him? Would you see his life, death, and resurrection for you? And know that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God, you will be saved. See, he has risen. And if today is the day that the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to impress this truth upon your heart, I want to invite you to respond to him and see and and savor him as the one who's died to forgive you of your sin. To find the great joy that nothing else in this life can offer. The great hope that not even death can can conquer. Jesus got up from the tomb. And so too will all who are in Christ. Have you come to see him today? If you've come to see him, the command that we're next given is go and tell him about him. Come and see him and then go and speak about him. Verse 7 to 8, if we've seen him, we must speak about him. Turn with me to verse 7 to 8. The angel continues speaking to the women who came to that tomb that morning. And he says, Go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. Of course it had. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Essentially what's happening is the speechless are made spokeswomen. The speechless are made spokeswomen because of what they saw. I'll never forget what I saw on September 14, 2018. A little more than seven months ago, I was in Penn Hospital, downtown Philadelphia, where I used to live. My wife had just been rolled back to the operating room, getting ready for the scheduled C-section delivery of our second son, Ezra. And so as I anxiously waited to get the invitation from the doctors, saying, come on back, nowadays dads get to sit courtside for these sorts of things. (laughs) Doctors pull up a stool, I walk in, and it's exactly like what you would imagine those medical TV show dramas to be like. The bright lights, the scalpels flying back and forth across the room. Except 
the doctors weren't talking work all the time. This was like the eighth C-section they'd done that day. So they're talking about the TV show they watched last night and where they're going to dinner tonight. Doctors are human. Doctors are human. I had to remind myself. But I started getting anxious. I'm sitting around. I'm like, I'm here to see a baby born. And there's no baby yet. Doc, is everything all right? And so I peer over the super-sized paper towel that the doctors had put in front of Jen's eyes, blocking sight of her organs. And I'm like, is he out? Is he out? Finally, Dr. Gearhart says the words I was waiting to hear. Dad, get your phone ready. It's picture time. I think I pulled out Jen's phone, my phone, every phone I could find. I was like, of course I'm ready to get pictures. And in a very swift moment, Dr. Gearhart excised. He lifted Ezra up out of Jen's womb, bobbed him up and down like an apple in the water. And I'm like, whoa, chill, doc. Chill, chill, chill. That's my son. I know you do this all the time, but I don't see that all the time. I'd like for that slippery, slimy little blue ball of joy to come home safe. I love Dr. Gearhart, and I hope he loves me. <laughs> Suffice to say, my, my emotional spectrum is usually this narrow. In that moment, I felt everything from here to here. I lost it. I started bawling. I started screaming, crying. Chen, do you see that? That's our baby. And Dr. Gearhart's like, what in the world? Why did we let this guy in? That's our baby, Jen. It was the oh my goodness sight of my life. And it's a sight that compelled me to go and tell others, including holding all of you captive for the retelling of that story, but everyone else that I meet, my favorite story to tell. It's a sight that compelled speaking. In that moment, I was almost speechless, and I left that room as a spokesman. The sight of the empty tomb on Easter morning makes us speechless spiritually, and then spokeswomen for etern- and spokesmen and spokeswomen for eternity. The first women that showed up, they saw new birth. They saw God excise, lift Jesus out of that tomb, and announce to the world, death is done. New life has been born. The light of life shines out of the tomb of darkness. There is reason to speak. This is the oh my goodness sight that triumphs over and is a million times greater than any C-section delivery. This is the birth of new life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If you have seen him, we must go and tell about him. Verse 7, that's exactly what the angel said to these women. No idea where I am anymore. Here we are. Verse 7. But go. Go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. How fitting of an end to Mark's gospel. Jesus goes to Galilee. That's where he showed up in Mark chapter 1. And this wasn't an accident. Jesus is from Nazareth of the region of Galilee. Galilee was 60 miles north of the religious center down south in Jerusalem near the temple and where Jesus was crucified. But Galilee is also a place of deep spiritual need, a place of industry. People would come there, flock there for work because the sea was there, and then they'd be disseminated, sent out. What a perfect place for Jesus to show up, a place where people would see him, experience, yes, this is true, the king has risen, and then go out to speak about him. How wise, how wise of God to plan it this way, to go to Galilee. And how loving of God to announce where we could see him. 
All throughout Jesus' life and ministry, it's the pattern of him finding us, him mercifully showing up to us, even when we had run and rebel away and turn away from him. He comes to us, goes to Galilee. And this is good news for you and I, because just like the first disciples, we wouldn't have naturally gone to Galilee. (laughs) You know what the first disciples did after hearing about this? They huddled together in an upper room. They locked the door. They were shaking in fear. What does Jesus do? Locked door, no locked door. Shows up in the midst of them. Mercifully comes to them. You know what else he does? They're out fishing. He shows up on the shore. They're out taking a walk on the road to Emmaus. He intervenes in that very conversation. He allows Thomas to touch his wounds. He speaks grace to Peter who had just denied him. How merciful. How loving. God is using his son to invite people to see him. To follow him. The same way he's using his word now to point us to his son. Would you see him? Would you know that he so mercifully wants you to trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins? Would you run to him? Don't be alarmed. But give him your sin. Receive his forgiveness. The greatest news at Easter morning is the news of new life, but that news is only yours personally if you have given him your sin and received his forgiveness. Guys, the king is risen. The world must know. The king is risen. The world must know. The disciples, they eventually went to Galilee, thankfully. And in, in Matthew chapter 28, we know what Jesus said to these disciples who, when they came to Galilee. The same thing that our church is built on, the Great Commission. He says, go. (laughs) He says, go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them. That means speaking to them. Speaking God's truth to them, this truth of good news. His perfect life, his sacrificial death, his bodily resurrection, available for all who believe in him. Teach this to everyone. The king is risen. The world must know. If you've seen Jesus with the eyes of your heart, where is he now sending you to speak for him? That's the question I want to put before you. First, have you seen him? Second, where has he called you to speak for him? Today, you're likely going to share a meal or two with someone. This week, you might share an office with a colleague. You might share a home with a child that you're rearing. You might walk on, the, on your neighborhood street and see your neighbor. If you've seen Jesus, where has he placed you to go and speak about him? And here's the motive for doing this. If Jesus really got up from the tomb, which I believe he did, isn't that worth telling others about? If Jesus really offers a hope that not even death can, can extinguish, isn't that worth telling others? others about? If the king is risen, why wouldn't I speak? And because the king has risen, we must speak. But first I invite you to make sure you are savoring the Savior before you speak about him. See, we all celebrate and speak about the things that bring us most joy. All of us know the diehard sports fans in our lives. It's cardinal season, isn't it? It is. (laughs) And if someone in your house loves the Cardinals, they speak about the Cardinals all the time, don't they? 
Because they love everything baseball and St. Louis Cardinals. If we are the church, if we are the people who love Jesus, shouldn't we be the spokesmen and spokeswomen? Not speaking as boring lecturers, but as satisfied customers. Our sin has been forgiven. My sin has been atoned for. I have an eternal hope. My goodness, my neighbor needs to know that. Jesus did that. I didn't do anything. I received everything. Would you go and speak about the one who offers you everything? Would you enjoy him before you speak of him? Would you adore him before you declare him? Because when you start declaring the one that you enjoy, it'll come out as the most beautiful words the earth has ever heard. The king is risen. The world must know. Amen? Amen. Guys, the good news of Mark chapter 16, verse 1 to 8, is the king is risen. Come and see him, and then go and tell about him. What we are going to do now is transition into the rest of our worship service where we do two things. We sing and we take communion. And and during our singing, it's a time for you to just announce to God. Respond to him. God, you are so worthy, so high and so holy. I am so needy. Thank you for sending Jesus. Sing these songs to him in thanksgiving. And then we're also going to invite you to partake of communion if you're a believer and follower in Christ. Communion is a time where we remember his body was actually broken on that cross. His blood was actually poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. So take, eat, remember, enjoy the Savior who died to forgive your sin. And if you've yet to give Jesus your sin and receive his forgiveness, I have something better than juice and bread to offer you. I have the bread of life. I invite you to come to faith in Jesus Christ today. Easter morning 2019 could very well be the day that your eternal life begins. Today could be the most important, oh my goodness, moment in your life. If you're in this room and you've yet to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior personally, not just if you've been raised in a Christian family, or everyone else in your family talks about Jesus a lot. But if you have yet to put your faith in his work to forgive your sin, I invite you to receive his work to forgive your sin. I would love to talk to you during these, these songs about what that means. You can come forward and we can pray together. You can talk to any of the elders in the church. And if you want information about what it means to follow Jesus, fill out that Connect card and we'll talk tomorrow. So let's turn our hearts now the eyes of our hearts to see and behold the one who died for us so that when we would leave here ready to speak about him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that he has risen. He is not in that tomb. We look at the place where they laid him, but now we look to the eternal throne where he reigns victoriously. That's where our king is. The one who is alive and reigning and holy and high above is also the one who came to dwell with us and invite us to follow him. Lord, we thank you for this Easter celebration. We thank you that the Easter story has begun and it will continue until he returns. We love you. We need you. Now set our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, upon your son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, as we sing to him in celebration. Amen.